Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, what we see is Paul really giving a, a, a little description of who we are as believers. You know, that we are we're not just individual people trying to do this work alone. No, there's a, a challenge to being a Christian. And one of those challenges is that we would be united together for a common task. So read with me 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at four, verse 14. Paul says this, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. When I got the call on Thursday that, I would, that Zach wanted me to preach, I thought, you know, what am I going to preach about? And it is only the, the, really the first week of the new year, and so I thought, well, let me bring something uh, regarding our new, new year. And, and I thought also we have a new trimester starting, and we have some, uh, a new approach to, to doing ministry and we're going to be doing this book, When the Church Was a Family. And I thought, you know, we've always had these mini churches and we have growth groups. And, you know, we, we kind of ask ourselves, why do we do these things? And one of the reasons we do these things is, you know, we're a fairly large church. And, you know, when you look at the, the churches of the New Testament, you see that many of the churches were simply the size of our small groups, not this large gathering. But God in his providence has allowed us to grow the size we are today. And the bigger we become and the more we grow, the, the more we need small groups. Why? Because look back at verse 15 again. It says, You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. You now, Paul wrote this in the first century, and you know, he wanted us to know how we are to conduct ourselves in the household of God to tell people how to live in the context of being part of the church. Now, you know, we see a few things that you can notice. There's a few things that you can notice about this. First of all, there's an expectation that, that there's some sort of appropriate conduct for us as Christians, isn't there? You know, before I was a Christian, I lived a certain way. And when I became a Christian, I couldn't just simply continue to li live that way because God had some expectations of how I live. We, we have a responsibility to act like Christians today, we can't simply go on with our old lives. And, and that's, I think, frankly, why Paul wrote uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Because you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians had it wrong. They had just simply allowed a lot of what they did in their past to come into the world. I mean, to come into the church. And what that did is it polluted the church and it corrupted the church. And Paul had to write to admonish them. And so I'm here to tell us some basic things today about what it means to be a Christian and to live together as a family. Yes, we're having this push over the next few months to, to be reminded that we are a family and that we stand together and we treat one another like brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters. 
We don't just live as individuals. There's enough individualistic um, people in this world in our society. In fact, our society is very individualistic. It's all about me. And so we want to teach each other how we should act appropriately in the church of God. You know, and so Paul said that he's writing this really on, on how we are to do church. What is church about? Church is teaching people about how to live righteous lives be, before the true and living God. And it's very, very simple if you think about it. It's simply this. Take this Bible, read it, and apply it to your lives. But I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. How many of us know that it's not so easy? But that's why I'm here today to tell you some things. They may be even basic, but that we need reminding. You know, it's very difficult. Because everything in our, in our ministry, everything in our lives is really counterintuitive. You know, I didn't just wake up this morning and say, you know, God, in, in my natural self, I didn't wake up and say, you know, I just want to love my enemies today. Now, that's very unnatural. It's supernatural, though, isn't it? And that's why we need to draw together and remind each other. You know, and we know that our pride gets in the way. It's, it's, it's always unnatural. To, and to just to simply believe the things in the Bible, these miraculous things in a miraculous book is unnatural in the natural man, isn't it? We need to be spiritual people. Therefore, instruction and accountability ought to go alongside involvement in the church. And that's exactly what it says here. We need to be accountable. We need to, to know how one ought to, ought to act with one another and pursue one another and love one another. And what he's saying is that we're brothers and sisters. And he says we're, we're the pillar and the support of the truth. And when you look back at that, Paul is writing uh, to, to Christians in the first century. And most of the buildings, most of the buildings were Roman buildings at that time. And there was a, a strong foundation with columns around it, supporting it. And Paul is looking at that image and saying, that's who we are as a church. We are standing together, each as columns, all individual people. But we all have a part to play, don't we? We can't just simply say, oh, somebody else will do it. No, in fact, if you take one of the columns out, it weakens the whole structure, doesn't it? And if you take all of the columns out, the whole thing will fall. And one of the things I, I, found, I thought about this is I, I find it kind of alarming that God expects us to be these people, doesn't he? I mean, when I look at myself, I look at my own sinfulness and my own weakness, and I say, God, you want me to be a pillar in support of the truth? But when I think about that, I'm reminded that... No roof was ever held up by one pillar, was it? No, it's all of us standing together, locking arms, and doing our part. You know, I saw on uh, the news a while back, there was a motorcycle, motor, motorcycle rider that was ran over by a car, and the car was on fire. And people ran up, and a number of people ran up and picked up the car, and somebody else reached underneath and pulled the person out. If one person would have done it, what would have happened? Nothing. But these people working together were able to lift the car and rescue this person. And we exist as a church to do this together, don't we? We can't expect somebody else to do it. We have to do it. And we exist, the church exists, to show the great magnitude of the truth of the living God to a world that needs to know the truth. And the challenge becomes when you get into a, a, a large church, a group this size, is that we think that somebody else will do it. You know, somebody else will take care of it. I don't need to take care of it. But when you do that, you're believing the lie of the large church. And the, the lie of the large church is that everything is taken care of because there are so many people to do the work. And that's just not true. 
You know, all the responsibilities are cared for because somebody else around me is doing it. I surely don't have to put the effort in, you know. And if I don't do it, you know, nobody will notice that I don't do it. But that's a lie as well because people do notice. I mean, we know that there's basically this 80-20 rule. 80% of the work are done by 20% of the people. You know, we notice. The leaders notice. Zach notices. How many have noticed that when you're not at church, Zach notices? I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Where have you been? It's because he cares. It's not because he, want, you know, he wants his church to be real big. No, he cares about you, and we care about you, and the, the leaders do notice. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, how am I contributing? How am I being one of those columns upholding the church's witness to the world? You know, because if you're, if you're not doing that part, not doing your part, then you're working against it. You know, I'm, if, am I one of those solid people in my commitment upholding the truth, and, or am I working against it? Don't you know that the church is really looked at in the world as very suspect? People don't think very highly of the church. And, you know, we, that's because we don't have a strong conviction that what we do and how we live, how we worship, how we serve makes a difference. But it does. Every one of us coming together to worship makes a difference. Going back to that motorcycle rider, if all those people would have said somebody else will do it, that man would have burnt to death. And the truth is that you're either helping support the truth or you're causing it to crumble. There's no neutral ground. If you're not doing your part, then somebody else is. I mean, there's a weight on your shoulders. If you simply walk away, somebody else has to take up that weight. And one of the biggest concerns that I have is is that you look at the church as part of your life rather than the priority of your life. Oh, sure, you know, I, I like church. I, I go at least once or twice a month. I've been in a small group before. You know, it was okay, but I you know, didn't really like it. You know, I go to many church occasionally. You know, is the, is the church the central involvement around which the rest of your, your schedule re- revolves? That's the question. You know, Jesus says it this way in Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I mean, those are some strong words. He's calling us to a a radical discipleship in following him. And it's about sacrificing your life. Remember, this life on this planet is very short. And when he calls you and saves you, calls you out of the world, he calls you into his family, you can't live the same way you used to live. He's called you to this this great task of upholding the truth. And you say, hold on, Jeff, you know, you're just trying to build up the church. No, you know, make it bigger. No, I'm not. Yes, I believe we're called to grow. We're called to make disciples, to evangelize. But as one of the pastors, as one of the elders here, It's one of the shepherds. It's hard to care and motivate the people we have. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm asking for for your help today. That we would do this together. That you and I would be pillars and supports of the truth deliberately because we are positionally. And I love this church. You know, I say that often and it's not sentimental. This is one of the best places I am every week. You know, I get one weekend off a month. And usually on those weekends that I have off, we still, as a family, we come to church. 
Because it's so important. And I, I feel strange that even in missing three out of the four services, I feel strange like I'm missing something. And I hope that that would happen to you. Because when you're involved in the church body, it, it becomes regular and it becomes like I'm missing something if I'm not here. And if you don't have that, maybe you're not coming enough. And there's no better place that I would want to be than here. Because this is my family. This is God's household. You know, yes, there are a lot of problems with being here. You know, I have to start early. I have to leave late. You know, Pastor Bruce said, so you're really going to come to the movie tonight too? Yes. You know, I woke up this morning and I got up at five and I wanted to spend some time praying. And, and I thought, yeah, I could really just stay home tonight. You know, I've worked hard. But no, I thought, you know, what am I saying? Yes, it's hard, but I, re- I want to be here. Not just for myself and my family, but I want to be here with you guys. And I want to say, you know, if it's important to me, it should be important to you as well. And we have to remember that any time the church gathers, it ought to bring in us a passion to enjoy and taste the fellowship and worship the true and living God. And so is church just a part of your commitment or the, the priority of all your commitments? And it ought to be the priority. And it's really about being faithfully involved in the church. And I want to give you at least seven ways that you can express your faithfulness. And let me say, first of all, that I'm speaking to Christians. If you're not a Christian here, we're not asking non-Christians to get involved in the church. Yes, we want you to be here. We want you to hear the Word of God. Our primary thing that we want from you, though, is what? That you would be saved that you would come to a knowledge of the truth, that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would repent and trust in Him. So I'm really speaking to Christians this morning, and I'm not trying to get unbelievers involved in the church. So what I'm starting out with is I'm presuming that you know that salvation is really at the head of this list, and you must be saved uh, to be involved in the church. And I heard this story of a church that, you know, they wanted to have a philosophy of dynamic worship. And to reach out to musicians. So they would bring these talented, non-Christian musicians in to lead their congregation in worship. And they they wanted to do this for two reasons. One was that, you know, they would have this dynamic worship because these were really excellent people. But another thing was that they thought maybe they would hear the gospel and be saved. So they would actually hire them. And, you know, I think that's extremely wrong. I think it's extremely wrong. You know, we would, we would rather have bad music than have music played by ungodly people. But the truth is, and the good part about Hope Chapel is that we have really good music played by godly people. And so this is a message for believers. It's not for unbelievers. And there's, let's look at these seven ways to express your faithfulness. And the first one is this, and I talked about it a little bit in our announcements. Be baptized. Be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it's not in your notes, Peter says this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Is anybody excluded? No. Nobody's excluded. The Lord Jesus said it this way in Matthew 28, 19, Go go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do we make disciples? By baptizing them. You know, frankly, we don't put enough emphasis on baptism in the church today. And it's amazing how when we, we've made this statement about communion, that people really have a hard time with it. 
You know, baptism, baptism is clearly taught in the scriptures. And I don't have to, time to really tell you about everything about baptism, but, you know, there, there's a lot of excuses about why people don't. You know, I was baptized as an infant. I've, you know, I've been a Christian so long, and, you know, I don't want to have to go before people and proclaim my faith. You know, people are going to think I'm weird that I've been a Christian so long. You know, there was a man about two years ago in our church, his um, granddaughter was getting baptized, and his son-in-law is actually one of our elders, so it tells you how old this gentleman was. And he was also dressed, and I thought he was going to be baptizing his granddaughter. And so I said to him, I said, you know, oh, so are you going to be baptizing your granddaughter? And he, he looked down at the ground and he said, Jeff, no, I'm, I'm here to be baptized myself. And he began to tell me how he had been a Christian for 50 years, and it had always weighed on his heart that he had never been baptized. And so he came forward to be baptized. And, you know, the thing is, we didn't hold it against him, did we? We didn't say, I can't believe that. No, we said, praise the Lord. And so, you know, it's funny, over, the, over this weekend, I've had at least five people come up to me this weekend after I've, I've talked and said, I'm going to be baptized. And I know there are more that haven't talked to me. But don't hesitate. Just be baptized. Listen, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 12 through 13, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I mean, if you have not been baptized, you can't read that verse and say that that applies to you. We were all baptized into one body. If you're part of the church, if you're going to be a pillar and support, then you need to be baptized into the one body. And how do we do that? We, first of every month, we come up here, we open up, I'm standing on the baptismal right now. We open that up and we baptize how? By immersion. We, fur, we fully immerse people underwater. Why do we do that? Because that's actually what baptism means. You know, John the Baptist and John the Baptist didn't call people out into the water and then sprinkle them. No, he, he put them under the water. You know, he, I guess he could have had a bucket and, and chased people around, but he called people forward. Come, repent, and, and be baptized. And so we baptize by immersion. And my question for you is this, though. As a Christian, if you're a Christian here, you know, have you been baptized since you were saved? You know, if you are a believer and you haven't been baptized guess what? You are living in a state of disobedience. And that's clear. And that's why we talk about this in in communion. That's why we talk about baptism and communion together. If you're a believer and you're, you're refusing to be baptized, then refrain from taking communion. It's not that we want to keep you from the communion table. It's that we want you to honor Christ. Yes, we all want to come forward and take communion. But we should all want to be baptized as well. And I know I'm speaking to the church, and so many of you are baptized. But if you're not, we're here for that. You know, a, a young lady in our church last month, she had, had made a profession of faith. She had um, gotten baptized. And she said she never really lived differently. In fact, she believed she wasn't saved at the time. And so she had been coming to church here for years. She, she knew that she had repented. She was a Christian now. And she said, you know what, I'm going to get baptized again. Because she knew that there was a point in time that she was a believer, and now she wanted to be baptized. So, you know, there's some people that may need 
to be baptized, even if you were baptized as an infant or even if you were baptized as a child because you know you weren't a Christian when that happened. And if you haven't been and you know that you haven't been and you're making a willful choice not to be baptized, you know, I just, I would ask you not to come and eat and drink the cup because, you know, Paul says that you could be, uh, you know, eating in an unworthy manner. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, Paul says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Paul's not just saying look in your heart. No, he's saying if you have anything in your life that you haven't repented of, repent of it and then come eat and drink. And that's, that's what he, he wants to do. And, you know, when I talk about this, I, I'm not talking about just baptism. I'm talking about everything. You know, if, if I was talking to a young man in this service that was living a, a life of immorality and he wasn't repenting of that, I would say you should not take communion. You should examine yourself. You should repent. Then come. But in this case, we're talking about baptism. And we know that baptism is important. It's, it's something that, that Christ has commanded you. So if you know the Lord, be baptized. And that's the way to be identified with Christ. And it's a way to proclaim your faith. You know, you're identifying, you're telling everyone, I, I'm telling everyone that I am in Christ and I'm in the body of Christ. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, people say, you know, wait, but I'm saved by grace. I can still come and take communion. No, we shouldn't go on sinning that grace may abound. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Again, as I said earlier, if if you have not been baptized, you can't really read that verse and say, I was baptized into his death. No, but we want to encourage you to do so. And so, you know, this is a new year. Don't hesitate. Just simply call us. I mean, we we want to help you. There was a young lady just last week that I was talking to her. She wanted to be baptized, but she was so scared. And we were talking, she says, I feel like I'm going to get sick up on stage. And so I prayed for her and I said, look, all you have to do is come up with me. I'll, I'll lead you. I'll pray for you. I'll ask you some questions. You answer those questions and we'll baptize you. And she was obedient because she knew it was what, was what God had called her to do. The second way to express your faithfulness is to become a church member. Become a church member. And the first has to do with proclaiming your faith. And the the second has to do with attaching your faith to the body of Christ. And, you know, some people say, well, why? Because being a church member tells us who can be identified as belonging to the church family. Who are we going to care for? Who do we know is part of us? And who can we count on to care for each other? You know, being a church member, and some people say, well, is church membership biblical? I believe it is. And Paul writes First and Second Timothy and Titus to uh, young pastors, and he says certain things, and there's lists in, in those books, and there's organization. They knew the people that were in their body. They knew who was there. They knew who was committed. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. He says, 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Is there an advantage to obeying your leaders? Yes, there's an advantage. And, and we believe as a church, as leaders of the church, that, that membership is one way that we can help you grow. And it's to your advantage. You know, two questions from this passage come up. You know, and, and this is, I think, helpful for us to see why church membership is biblical. First is, which leaders should an individual Christian obey and submit to? You know, if you just simply don't call any church your home, and you just kind of go from place to place... Who do you submit to? You know, the writer of Hebrews is saying you need to submit to the leaders, and we believe that you should be involved in a local body of Christ that's saying, I am am submitted to them. And therefore, a way to do that is by membership. And the scriptures clearly command Christians to submit and honor the elders of the church. And the second thing is, is really for us as leaders is, who will the leaders give an account for? You know, he says in, in that passage, uh, we are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Am I responsible for believers over a journey of faith? No. Am I responsible for, you know, people at other churches in the South Bay? No, I'm not. I'm responsible for those of us who are here. But how do I know who's really here? Unless you say, hey, I'm here and I'm committed. You know, it's hard. It's hard work for pastors because we have people coming in and coming out never really getting involved, how do we know who is really part of this church? We do so through membership. So who will the elders give an account for? And listen to what Peter says. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, says, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Who am I to to shepherd? Those of us who are among you. It's not anybody else out there. And, you know, I won't be held accountable for other churches. You know, that's their responsibility. Those shepherds are responsible for the way they do church. So I I just want to encourage you this year, this new year, become a member. We actually have membership forms in the back. They're blue and, you know, just read through it and become a member so that we can know how we can care for you and who you are. And, this, and so we can encourage you to be one of the strong pillars and supports of the truth. The third way to express your faithfulness in the church is this. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Do you want to be a strong support of the truth? Start with your own sin. Have a plan to conquer sins in your life, to, to demonstrate your faith. First Peter Peter says this in chapter 1. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And this really goes back to our conduct in the household of God. And second, and I think more personally, and uh, really with a stronger tone to it, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 12 through 14 says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands. And it, yeah, it gives you a picture of them holding something up, doesn't it? That's the truth of God. And he says, lifting your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. I mean, those are some strong words. And we know that the writer of Hebrews talks about faithfully enduring. But we should have a plan. We should be living for Christ. We should, this new year, you should have a lot of things in place saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be diligent to make my life more and more holy, more and more like Christ. You know, are, are you pursuing holiness personally and privately, prayerfully, outwardly, visibly? Are you pursuing holy actions and holy parameters in your life? And th- this, is, this is serious because he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he calls us to be a, a people, a different type of people. And the fourth way to express your faithfulness is this. You probably knew that this was coming. Be in attendance. This is committing your faith. It's about being involved and being diligent to to come here to church services weekly unless God has you somewhere else, but you should have a plan to be here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And how do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I want to talk about, is it your habit that you're not here? Are you in that group, the habit of some? In fact, one pastor called it the habit of some club. Those people who simply... Don't come very often. They're, they're not faithful in their attendance at church. They don't get encouragement. And they don't give encouragement because they're just not here. It's not really a priority in their life. If you want to get encouragement and you want to give encouragement, you must be a regular participant in the body of Christ. You know, some people just simply blow off church attendance. They're, they're not in the habit of attending. And there are so many excuses. I know we've all heard them. You know, church is too long, the sermon's too long, and, you know, I, I don't like when so-and-so preaches. You know, I like that little guy when he <laughs> preaches. But that's... Anyway. You know, he's so easy to understand. It's because I preach at a... Kindergarten level. Zach preaches at a, a higher level. No. But seriously, we have all our excuses. We've got to stop making excuses. We've got to be committed to each other, right? This is not about me coming to a movie and seeing what I can get out of it. You know, we go to movies for two or three hours. It's not a problem at all. You know, when, you, when you really think about it, how many hours do you awake every day of the week? You know, we're probably here, what, at, at this service, maybe... 2% of your, your waking hours? And we don't want to? No. We're, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we need to be here. Enjoying the fellowship, worshiping together. No, we, we need to be strong. You know, people say, oh, but you don't understand, Jeff. You don't understand my life is busy. No, I do understand that your life is busy. You know, oh, you know, but it's so hard to wake up on Sunday morning. Well, that's because you went to bed at 2 in the morning. <laughs> Plan on going to bed early. If you can't make it here on Sunday morning, then do what? 
Come on Friday or Saturday night or come at 1045. Don't just go, oh, you know, I'm going to be too tired on Sunday morning, so I'm not going to go at all. No, if you know you're going to be out of town on Sunday morning, then come on Friday, Saturday night. I mean, it's that it's that simple because it's a priority for your life. Families, you know, I I notice this families who are not committed are teaching their children to, to not be committed. And I really believe this, that if you only come 25 to 50 percent of the time, there's a great possibility that when your children grow up, they will come even less or not at all. And how important is it for your family to, you know, for your children to grow up in the church and and love to be here? You know, my children, you know, when I became a pastor, you know, I have four children. I thought I was a little worried, you know, because you hear about pastor's kids just growing up to hate church. And so I was a little worried, and my, ch- my children are here all the time, and you know what? My children love to be here. It's their, it's their place. It's where their, their friends are. It's, it's their family. You know, my, my 15-year-old son, 15-year-old son, has Friday night said, Dad, can I go to church with you this weekend? Or tonight? Saturday night. Dad, can I go to church with you tonight? Dad, will you wake me up at 6.30 so I can go to church with you at 8 o'clock? And that's, I want them to be here. You know, they don't necessarily always sit through all the services, but they're here because their friends are here and they want to be with their friends. And we should have that. You know, I hear about Christians who say, I don't really feel at place at church. And that's, that's sad. If you feel out of place at church, then maybe you're out of place. Maybe you get in place and start growing together with people and saying, you know, I, I realize I like to be around them. We have to understand this. The only way to have your life cared for by the body of Christ is to commit your life to the body of Christ. You know, I, that church never cared for me. Did we even know you existed? Were you part? No. Do you know that we care about you? We do care about you. There are times that the leadership of this church actually talks about the flock. People say, well, you know, isn't that gossip? No, it's not gossip. You know, gossip is when we talk about you behind your back to bring you down. Shepherding is when we talk about you behind your back to, to build you up. <laughs> we, we say things like, we say things like, you know, do you, know, do you see so-and-so? They're coming every month, every week now, and, and they're getting involved, and they're in this new ministry, and they got involved in a growth group. Isn't that great? And there's other times we say, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Maybe we should pray for them. Maybe we should call them. Maybe we should encourage them to continue to come on. Why? Is it because we don't care? No, it's because we care. So no, it's not gossip. It's because we care. Number five is share the gospel. Share the gospel. If you want to be involved with us and belong to to us, then go beyond us. Because the gospel is, is growing the church of God and making disciples. And you know, we're talking about evangelizing. We're talking about building up the church of God. And we're talking about evangelism. You know, we gather together to be equipped. And we, and we are scattered to evangelize. That's why we have the exits of our building. The signs that say you are now entering the mission field. And I, you know, I hope that unbelievers come and 
I hope they hear the gospel and they're saved here at church. And I want to encourage you, invite as many unbelievers as you can to come to church. But the primary place that evangelism takes place is where you are from morning till night every day during the week. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your coworkers. It's your neighbors. You know, do you believe that we have good news? I believe we have good news. Do, you, do we believe that people need to hear the good news? Of course we do. Have you experienced the good news of Jesus Christ, that He's changed your life and saved you? Then we should want people to know about that. You know, Paul, Paul talks about this in Romans 10. And he, he says some things that are very simple about the, the faith that we need to have to be Christians. He says, The word is near you in your mouth and in, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A simple salvation by grace through faith. It's coming with a, an open heart, repenting and saying, Christ, save me. But people need to know that, don't they? And Paul goes on to say in Romans 10, he says, But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are, are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, God sees us when we share our faith as having beautiful feet. That we're doing the work of ministry. We're building up the body of Christ. So I just want to encourage you this, this year. And I want to encourage you to begin this week. Have a plan to talk to someone this week about the Lord. And there's so many ways that you can do that. Have a plan to pray for the lost. Have a plan to invite someone to church. In fact, do that together. Pray for somebody that you know. Say, God, give me boldness. Pray for someone so that they would receive my invitation. Just come to church. Hey, we're going to church this weekend. Can we pick you up? I mean, we can all do that. The sixth way to express your faithfulness in church is this. Practice spiritual disciplines. We talk about spiritual dis- disciplines quite often. And you know, we say, well, they're, they're personal, yes. But if you're going to be a strong pillar in support of the truth then you must strengthen yourself so that you can help others strengthen the church. And spiritual disciplines are those things like Bible reading and prayer, memorizing Scripture, fasting. But I want to highlight two. And the the first is that you should do your Bible reading. Do your Bible reading. We don't live on bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Jesus says. You know, in the back, I know it's a weekend, but we have these. It's the one-year Bible plan. And you can, you can easily catch up and read through the Bible in a year. In fact, I was talking to a, a man in our church. For four years in a row, he's done this. So now, you know, he's, he's read the New Testament eight times and the Old Testament four times in the last four years. And I think that's an amazing testimony. So, so just pick one of these up on your way out and just start. You know, I've actually timed some of the readings just to be able to come and tell you how long. For most people, it's easily, you know, probably 15 minutes, maybe at the most a half an hour to do your your daily Bible reading. I don't think that's too much to ask if, I mean, if we commit to eating, you know, our regular food at least three times a day, we can at least plan on reading the Bible once a day. You know, some people will say, you know, I'm not 
much of a morning person, then you know, try to read in, in the morning, but read in the afternoon, read at night, whenever you can, because it's important. In Psalm 1, verses 1 through 2, the psalmist says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's not just in the morning, it's, not just, it's, it's day and night. So have a plan, pick up a, one of the plans in the back, start your daily Bible reading, and, and have an order to that reading. And, you know, I know you might not be a morning person, but you, know, you can you know, just take your Bible with you in your car. Don't read in the car. <laughs> but wherever you get to, have it with you so you can read there. Second thing that I think is probably the most important is prayer. Psalm 5 Verses 1 through 3 says this, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. You know, prayer is primarily about growing in your relationship with Christ. Do you have that passion? Oh, you know, I'm so thirsty I just want to be with you. I want, to, I want to spend time with you. And if you don't, if you don't, it starts with simple prayer. The Bible says, draw near to him with a sincere heart. God knows. I mean, Jesus' disciples had to ask him, Lord, show us how to pray. And we can simply start by saying, Lord, teach me to pray. And try it. Do it. God will show you. God will birth in you a desire to be with him more and more every day. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And that takes planning, doesn't it? When? The psalmist is saying, when am I going to do this? So have a plan to pray, have a a plan to study God's Word. And lastly, my seventh point is, is this, stay connected. Stay connected. This is continuing in your faith. And the first part of what I call this is is perseverance. Perseverance. This is what Jesus talked about in the parable of the sower in which the plant sprouts up and it looks great, but simply dies away. And I've seen so many people over the last 24 years and they they look so great. They, They walk the walk and they talk the talk. They get involved and then they're gone. And it's sad and you know, I've seen this and I've experienced it. And, you know, I, I became a Christian and I began to read the Bible. And, and I remember reading the parable of the sower. You know, the first week I was a Christian and I came and there was actually a baptism service that very next week. And I said, you know, I need to be baptized. And I came up here and Zach was interviewing us. And, and he asked me, he said, okay, Jeff, uh, what are you going to do next now that you're a Christian? I said, Zach, I have no idea. All I know is that I want to follow him for the rest of my life. You know, I had been involved in many fads, and this is not a fad. This is about being in the, in the household of God, and it's not something you, you sprout up quickly and then die away. No, we have to be faithful, and it really has to do with being grounded. You know, there are many people who just aren't grounded. There are even people in the Bible who, who seem to be doing so well but just simply fall away. You have men like, uh, you know, John Mark who who started out well, and then Paul says that, you know, he, he deserted him, but we see later that John Mark comes back. 
And we praise God for that. He persevered and he stuck with it. But then a man like Demas, who it says in Colossians and Philemon that you know, he was a fellow worker. And Paul says this about him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, he just deserted him. And you know, we don't want to be like Demas, do we? No, we, we hope and pray that Demas came back. And my, my hope and prayer is that those who have fallen away, that they'll come back and they'll recommit their lives. But, you know, when you look at this, those people that start off real strong and then fall away, Jesus says that their problem is that they have no root. And they're not fully grounded and they wither. And that, that brings me to the second part of being stay, staying connected and it's accountability. Accountability. And this is about involvement. And one of the greatest ways to be involved and accountable is by getting into a small group. You know, it's so easy to come here in the big church and just simply come in, sit down, turn around and walk out. And that's, that's just not enough. No, be involved. Be involved in gr- a growth group. It is easy to come and take part in the church services, but if you want to grow, you need to be in fellowship, in close fellowship. And in, a big, in the big service, it's just really hard to get connected. And when you get involved in a growth group, you have instant accountability. People are there to pray for you and care for you. It's amazing that you actually meet friends and you get to know people and, and they care about you. And this is why... We believe so strongly in our growth groups. That's why three times a year we have promotion months to get people involved. In the book of Acts, Luke writes this in Acts 2.42. He says, And they devoted themselves. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and, and the prayers. You know, when I came to this church, my friend who had invited me started to get involved in a in a mini church, and I began to watch his life, and I began to see that he was changing and being different than he used to be. And I ended up getting involved in that same mini church. In fact, Ronnie Jones, our missionary that's going to be speaking at the four couples only, was our first, my first mini church shepherd. And I, I truly believe that if I didn't get involved in that mini church, I wouldn't be the person I am today as a Christian. No, it was so important. So I want to encourage you take these things to heart. Have a plan for this, this new year to follow Him. You know, when, you know, just get involved because you will be different. And I just want to remind you that we are the pillars and supports of the truth. Let's worship Him together. Let's encourage one another in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank You for Your grace, Your mercy to us. And I thank You for the church, the, the household of God, the pillar and support of the truth. I pray now that as we come and sing one last song, that our worship would be from our hearts, that we would sing out to you, that we would cry out to you, that you would encourage us. If anyone is convicted, if anybody has not been baptized, if anybody has not become a member, Lord, I pray that they would truly consider these things so that they could be part of the building of your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.